Everybody, you are listening to List It, my podcast, where me and a guest uh, we debate and rank things in pop culture and internet culture. It's a place where arguing on the internet is fun because that's what the world needs right now. It's more arguing on the internet, and I'm very excited about my topic and my guest today. If you are a podcast fan, you are likely already familiar with his work. He has produced and hosted several chart-topping podcasts. He's currently the host of Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, a podcast. I love and regularly listen to, as well as Ridiculous History and another incredible podcast. He is the, an executive producer for the iHeart Podcast Network. He's produced shows, the true crime shows, which is, if you're listening to this show and you listen to my other podcast, Hiding Something, you know I'm a huge fan of the true crime genre, Murder in Oregon, and the the Happy Face Murder uh, uh, podcast, which is right now in season two, right, Noel? Yeah, it is season two. Um, I actually just worked on season one, but happily handed off season two to some other very talented producers as well. Well, if you hear that voice, then you will know it is Noel Brown. Noel, welcome to the show, man. Oh man, you're 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 too kind. I love arguing on the internet. That's one of my favorite <laughs> things in the whole world. Well, you literally do it for I a living. I was going to say kind of, you kind of do it professionally. Yeah, it's sort of like contained arguing though, because it's just arguing like with my friends. Yeah, and it's sort of like all in good fun. Yeah, and like iTunes reviews, you can't respond to. Yeah, so there's really that sort of eliminates the arguing part of the of that whole uh, troll angle of of doing things on the internet. But um, we have started publishing YouTube videos for stuff that I want you to know. So I might get back into the internet comment flame wars uh, any day now. As a longtime podcaster, how great is it that you can't comment on reviews? Like, I have a love-hate relationship with that functionality, but sometimes I'm like, just for my own sanity, I think that's probably a good thing. Yeah, it's just interesting because, like, you know, so many people will be like, oh my gosh, love the show, everything about it, except Noel, he should walk into the ocean. <laughs> um, I just can't stand the sound of that man's voice. And, like, I just post, I screenshot them and, like, post yeah. them on my Instagram stories just as, like, personal catharsis, just yeah. to tell myself that... You don't really care what they say, man. You just do your thing. You just do you. But, you know, sure, you care a little bit. But, yeah, I don't know. Would yeah. I comment? It's a, it's a fool's errand commenting yeah. on – because, I mean, think about it. When Have you ever been compelled to, like, review anything <laughs> on the internet ever? No, no, there's not, literally not been one time, you know? Like, Let good alone or a bad. free podcast <laughs> that you can just, you know, not listen to because there's, like, 50 gazillion others. All that said, if you're listening to this and like the show – please leave us a rating and review because the algorithm does favor it for some reason. They, they, they are just gluttons for our pain. Well, no, dude, I'm really excited about, uh, about our, our topic today because I feel like you are uniquely equipped to discuss it. Um, we're going to be talking about some of our, or we're going to rank some of our kind of the, the weirdest and most bizarre, crazy unsolved mysteries, um, that, that are kind of out there in, in internet culture. Now, this is a topic for people that, that don't listen or haven't checked out stuff. They don't want you to know, which is a show that, is part of my regular podcast rotation. Kind of give them the elevator pitch because this is this is like you kind of immerse yourself in this world pretty much on a daily basis, right? Well, I have to shout out. You know, um, I, I would consider myself more of a co-host, third banana to uh, Ben Bolin and Matt Frederick, who started the show as a YouTube series. Like back in, I think we just realized that we hit our eleventh anniversary. We interviewed oh, wow. this amazing, um, like frontline conflict reporter named Jake Henry. 
Rahan, who does a podcast for our network called um, Q Clearance. It's uh, about Q and non conspiracies. And it's just fantastic. And he used to work for Vice and stuff. And so we were all big fans of his. And like he came on, he was like, oh my God, you guys, I've been listening to you since I was like 21. And I was like, (laughs) wow, A, feel super old, B, the show's been around for a long time, um, but it was it was a YouTube series at first where Matt and Ben with kind of Matt behind the camera and Ben as sort of like your, I don't know, Rod Serling-esque figure sort of taking you like on a tour, like through the unknown would sort of do these cool stand-up videos with like archival, you know, clips and things and music and, you know, doing like a little YouTube kind of 10, 12 minute um kind of micro, you know, dive, I guess, into some interesting conspiratorial topics. And then, you know, podcasting became a little bit more of a, uh, I guess, a priority for our company, which at the time was called How Stuff Works. And so they started doing it as a podcast. And I was the producer of like all the podcasts that we did at the time. So I edited single-handedly everything that we did in the podcast world, except for Stuff You Should Know, which is another one of our like most popular podcasts that we still do to this day. Um, but Matt, uh, his wife had a baby, and he took some paternity leave time and I just kind of stepped in and, uh, you know, took, took over for him while he was gone. And then he came back and they decided it worked. And so we, we made it a three person show. And that was, I think probably four years ago or three and a half, four years ago, something like that. And so, yeah, um, between the three of us, I think Ben is sort of like the, the expert kind of like, he's got this background in international affairs and, you know, diplomacy and just like this massive brain when it comes to like all things, uh, political, conspiratorial, um, psychedelic, he's just really ahead for that stuff. And then Matt, uh, um, also, obviously, a fantastic researcher, brilliant guy, but very much has this kind of like he's almost like the the Mulder to to, yeah. some, to the Scully, where he sort <laughs> yeah, of like yeah. wants to believe, and you know has this sort of background where he was grew up very religious and had this belief system that was then sort of betrayed by reality and the harshness of you know the world yeah. and all of this. So he's in this interesting place of being somewhere between like the world of like spirituality and like you know hard facts and kind of all of this mystery. And then I guess I'm sort of like the guy that skeptic, I guess, sort of stand in for the audience, you know, just asks a lot of questions and Honestly, I don't always have to do nearly as much research as as, as Ben and Matt because my job is kind of just to be, you know, the guy like asking the the questions that maybe people in the audience. That's at least how I think about it. They might they might say differently, but yeah, we do uh, uh, episodes every day of the week. One of them is a, a classic that we republish, yeah. and then we do um, uh, a news roundup episode once a week, where each of us just kind of brings up a, an interesting, weird conspiracy type news story. Um, and then another one is like a listener mail, where we respond to emails and. We have this, this hotline. People leave us interesting voicemails on, and then we do two full deep dive episodes. But uh, we always describe the show as a critical thinking approach to conspiracy theories. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the that's what I, I've enjoyed about it because <clears throat> it's certainly fair minded in in its approach each episode. But I also feel like it's a healthy dose of skepticism without kind of taking the fun out of some of the mystery. Which is these days, it's a difficult. That's Anytime that like conspiracies are involved, it, 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 as you know, kind of producing the Q show, you know, anytime there's a conspiracy involved, you know, that kind of the Internet's relationship with the conspiracies has gotten kind of more and more, mm. uh, you know, toxic and sort of dangerous. But I feel like th- I don't feel like there should be an overcorrection because there are still a lot of fun sort of interesting mysteries and stories that are definitely worth kind of unpacking and discussing. 
Absolutely. And I mean, you're right about the toxic side of it, especially during all of this, you know, political upheaval and like with the Q thing and like the way I think the pandemic sort of got a lot of people almost even more in their own heads. And then when that's filtered through the Internet, it's really easy to go down these rabbit holes that like have all this confirmation bias where it's like you can kind of pick and choose which truths to believe, which is a weird thing to say. But um, Jake, the the Q uh, clearance podcast host said this term that I think has probably been used a lot, but I hadn't heard it before. The idea of we're living in a post-truth world yeah. where it's like we all have disputes about what is, is the truth. <laughs> yeah. And that shouldn't really be, but yet it is. And and hopefully we're maybe ebbing away from that. But uh, it's an interesting thing. And it certainly makes our work interesting because there's a lot more new conspiracies coming up every day. But I'm actually a big fan of the historical ones. And I, those are kind of main ones on my list that I brought to Yeah. Well, well, speaking of the list, I want to I want to jump right to it. Uh, so we're each going to bring four uh, uh, of our kind of favorite of these sort of unsolved mysteries. And all of mine, I think have been all but one, I think have been featured as a topic on stuff they don't want you to know in the past. And so, uh, so we should be able to, uh, you know, have a lot to talk about. So no, I'll kick it over to you, man. What is number four on your list of your sort of favorite weird historical unsolved mystery or conspiracy? Yeah, sure. Um, four is one for me that I really hadn't heard a thing about until I started working for How Stuff Works back in, you know, like I said, 2013. And it was uh, a topic that was covered on Stuff You Missed in History Class, which is a show that I produced uh, for many years with Holly and Tracy and still still going strong. But it's something called the Voynich Manuscript. Which oh, is, dude. Yeah. yeah. I, I recently uh, uh, had a, a little discussion about that with a uh, with a guy on the show. It is so weird and interesting. And when you say historical mysteries, this is an artifact, really, mm-hmm. that represents a whole, you know, a whole laundry list of mysteries. Noel, for someone who's not uh, acquainted with it, t- t- un- unpack a little bit about its history and also what the implications of it are. Yeah, I mean, on its on its most basic level, it's like what you'd call a codex, which is like sort of like a, I don't know, like a grimoire. I mean, a grimoire is more for like witchcraft or spell casting, but a codex would be um, a catalog of different, um, maybe scientific facts or different scientific categories or sort of like uh, an encyclopedia kind of situation. But the thing that's different here is this is written in a language that doesn't exist and no one's been able to successfully decode it. Um, and it, it pictures hand and beautiful hand drawn kind of like paintings, um, all of these different categories of things, uh, in, for everything from like, uh, unidentified plant species, yeah. um, astronomical and astrological drawings of constellations and charts, uh, that don't exist <laughs> in the natural world. Zodiac symbols you again using these like constellations that aren't a thing um there's a whole biological section containing all of these sort of like alien looking creatures and a whole section with like all of these um sort of uh pregnant looking female nude figures that are bathing in pools of like green liquid all all connected by this bizarre uh kind of elaborate series of tubes so it's it's very sci-fi very psychedelic it's beautifully colorful um and uh, and very meticulous and clearly hand-drawn and it was printed on uh this vellum type material that was made from cow skin and it was 
actually apparently um, one of the stats I saw said it was made from fourteen full cow skins. Oh, it's hundreds, hundreds of pages, and and the ink that's used is made from uh, oak gall nuts, egg, fruit peels, and wine. Um, and it was carbon dated and uh, dated back to the fifteenth century. Um, and it's sort of like been you know it was rediscovered in nineteen twelve by this rare book dealer named Alfred Voynich, and before he got a hold of it and kind of figured out the path that this thing had taken. It traveled from the a library of the Holy, Holy Roman Emperor, Rudolf II, uh, then to a secret uh, book, kind of rare book seller's um, property in 1903. And then that's when it made its way into uh, something called the Society of Jesus in Rome. And Rome, uh, Italy, is where Voynich discovered it. And it's just been this like amazing, it's it's it's, it's just like the size of like a, a journal or something. You yeah. picture it and you think it's like some kind of massive tome but it's really pretty small and it has sort of like you know the ancient book equivalent of like a paperback cover where it's almost like meant to disguise how like you know bespoke and precious this thing is it's just like a really kind of crappy loose you know kind of smashed paper binding that sort of flips over the inside of the front page and same with the back like a not a paperback but like you know like you'd see a book jacket i guess yeah like on, a, on a hardback um and it's just a fascinating thing it's been attempted to to be uh decoded many many times times including by artificial intelligence and every, there's always like a story you'll see every couple of years someone figured out the Voynich manuscript um and it always comes up short it, the 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 weird thing about it too is you know in addition to being like in a weird language weird characters and topically you know some of it's like you know it's like it's just like an early sort of like for like a pharmacy is this about like sort of natural medicines yep. or there's That's there's exactly maps right. of like islands that mm-hmm. don't uh, that you know we don't really know where these islands were and where they, they ever existed so much effort went into putting this together obviously 14 perfectly good cows mm-hmm. had to die for this to, to still be around I'm and okay it has with that. T- yeah yeah exactly <laughs> they got to go somehow yeah. and they you know it, it has ties to like the Vatican uh you know when it was with the society of Jesus I think they were connected to the Jesuits that's right but do you think Noel? because one of the speculations is the only kind of good argument that you know i think people who kind of fan you know consider themselves like the rational skeptic observer would say well it's probably just a very elaborate hoax but the only problem with that it's like well someone went to a lot of effort and i'm not sure what the payoff was other than it being like a 600 year old practical joke no what's your theory about its origins well um and yeah no i've definitely certainly seen that kicked around but it it's just like it's legit i mean it is like you can't yeah. they didn't even know what carbon dating was why would someone go to the trouble of trying to like like you know when it was discovered rather like in 1912 yeah. that wasn't yeah. a thing so how would someone even know to go to that much effort to you know fake a technology that didn't even exist yet. Like yeah. they could have, they could have phoned it in way more than that. Um, you know, in terms of like sourcing the right material, using the right ink that would have been dated back to, um, you know, the, the origin, uh, the 15th century. Um, so, no, I don't think that that's what it is at all. Um, I don't really have a theory as to who it is, but there is another one of those, okay, I think we figured it out, uh, stories that just came out um, literally on the 18th of June of 2020. Um, there is a story about a German Egyptologist who believes that he has, tr- he has traced the origins of this uh, kind of 
language back to Hebrew. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, this guy's his name is Rainer Honig, and he is a professor at the Romer und Pelitzeis uh, Museum in Hildesheim in Germany. And he thinks that he's figured it out, that the, the base language of the, the script is Hebrew. Um, and he acknowledges that this is, you know, okay, par for the course. Everyone says they think they figured it out. Um, but a lot of the languages that have been proposed were things like Latin or Czech, um, and even, you know, there was a notion that I thought was really interesting that like, it was hidden within like these sort of tales on these very like calligraphic kind of tales, like these high, I say tales, but I mean, it really goes above the line um, that there, there's some kind of code, like mm. a Morse code or some sort of like repeating pattern that could be deciphered. That was a theory back in the day and that got thrown out pretty quickly, but I don't know. This is um, I'm, I'm seeing this. Uh, this is something that's like studied as an art artifact as well, because, because it doesn't really have any connection to any like real society or real, yeah. you know, culture that we know of. I think it's almost thought of as an elaborate piece of performance art or, yeah. you know, art, you know, art, art, like whatever, like fabrication. And uh, I think this guy might be onto something, but of course it's going to take several years to do it right. Yeah. So we'll keep an eye on this story, but yeah, check it out. You can get a PDF of the whole Voynich manuscript for free online. And just for the images alone, I mean, it looks like something out of like the phantom toll booth or like Dr. Seuss or something like it's very, these bizarre plants and alien animals. And then, you know, the naked women in this like future water park situation. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, people definitely check it out. And I don't know which is more enticing that it was part of some secret forgotten society that we've, you know, lost track of over history or some weird monk back in the day was just like, I'm going to play a prank that's going to have a long tail payoff for the rest of history and yeah. put this together. So he probably just smoked too much opium and just decided <laughs> yeah. like, this would be fun. And I'll yeah. just make like I a mean, weird psychedelic. <laughs> but the other thing, you couldn't just do this in like one sitting. This is yeah. a massive undertaking that would have yeah. required and to probably have been done in secret if you were a monk. Like, you know, what if your monk boss looks over your shoulder and like, what is this weird <laughs> shit? Yeah. Like, yeah. no. What are you uh, doing today? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we killed 14 cows for this, man. Yeah, yeah. no, that, you're right. Exactly. That material would have been precious. And this yeah. probably would have been looked at as like frivolous or like a waste of time or something. So, I, yeah. I, you know, it's I love that it's not solved. I hope this guy, because that's the thing, when we say unsolved or undecipherable, like we can't, we don't know anything about what yeah. it says. Yeah. Nothing. So yeah. if this guy can even pull a little bit out of it, that would be a huge deal. And I would yeah. love to know what what's going on in the Voynich manuscript. Yeah. Well, that is such a great selection. Uh, for, for my number four and all, it's something that I know you are very knowledgeable about because in addition to doing there, I've listened to the uh, stuff they don't want you to know episode about it. You've also made a short film about, and it's something that's uh, uh, regionally, I think, pretty close to you now. And that's the Georgia Guidestones. Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. which it's one of my favorite contemporary sort of mysteries. So if I butcher this sort of uh, explanation, feel free to fill in any gaps I miss. But essentially, back in the late 70s, mm -hmm. a guy who would later come to become to identified as R.C. Christian, mm -hmm. um, his real identity was never known, entered into a small granite finishing company uh, that the owner was also happened to be, uh, I think he was a banker in the town of uh, Elberton, Georgia. That's right, Elberton, Georgia. Yep. Granite capital of the world. 
Yeah. So shout out, shout out to Elberton. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so so this guy RC Christian goes in there and he and he basically has really detailed plans and yeah. eventually later a, a small scale model of a very odd monument that he wanted uh, to make. And mm -hmm. the monument uh, it's about twenty feet tall, enormous pieces of granite, um, and it's uh, it's written in various languages. And it, you know he had very specific instructions because along with having to display some text that will break down it also had some sort of um uh, alignment with uh, you know features in astronomy uh, mm -hmm. where it could be used sort of almost like a compass that's right and and so uh, but the weird thing is the guy only revealed his identity to the the dude who ended up building it and running the finishing uh place but he said that he represented a group of loyal americans who had spent a lot of time and money planning this and it still stands today but no i want to get into what makes this uh strange mystery because no one knows who rc christian was or really his motivations for spending a tremendous amount of time and effort and money on this because the the script is sort of these ten commandments at at its core. That's that's what you know. Kind of people are very interested in. A lot of them sound like Thanos wrote them. Like it is, it's it's sort of in line with what Thanos's motivation was in Endgame, which was. Uh, you know, you know, humanity has to be protected from itself. And the only way to do that, according to the Georgia Guidestones, are to maintain human. This is a quote. This isn't me. Maintain humanity under 500. It's, uh, you know, 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. Even the idea of balance sounds like Thanos. Um, you know, it, it also talks about ruling with a world court, uh, the balance of personal rights and social duties. Um, it, then it has some that are sort of more esoteric, prizing truth, beauty, and love. Um, but, uh, you know, be in harmony with the infinite. Uh, again, another kind of Thanos thing. Do not be a, a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. Um, but, you know, calling the population down to five. I mean, we always have 500 million people in the United States alone. Uh, you know, that's a pretty, you know, it's a it's a it's a eyebrow raiser. Let's just yeah. say, right? It's, it, it, it's so weird. And you, you've you made a short film. People, I think it's on Vimeo and people can check it out. Uh, it's called Guidestones, right? Right and all? Yeah, that's the one. We actually recut it for stuff that I want you to know. And it's called, we, we, we the remixed version of it is called Etched in Secret. Uh, and I think that's on our YouTube channel now. We, we unhit it. So you can check that out on, uh, on Stuff That I Want You To Know's YouTube channel. Um, if you want to see my version, you might be able to find it. But I don't know. I, I basically, I did it for my senior thesis in college, actually. Yeah. Um, because I lived not far from Albert. I, I went to college in Augusta, Georgia, and my uh, my girlfriend at the time had spent some time in Elberton, and she knew about it, and I'd never really heard about it, and I just thought it was fascinating. And there's a really awesome Wired article about mm. it from 2009 called "American Stonehenge: Monumental Instructions for the Post-Apocalypse." And so, yeah, that's, <laughs> nothing that, ominous there. <laughs> nothing yeah. ominous there. But that's the idea: is it was sort of meant to be sort of a rallying point for like, if, you know, it, this happened during the cold war, um, everyone was scared about, you know, stop, you know, duck and cover and all that. And scared that we were going to blow each other up us in the Soviet union. And so there was a lot of, you know, paranoia. And I think that, that when you take that 500 million in perpetual balance with nature thing and apply it to the world we live in now, sure, that sounds like you're calling for genocide. But if you apply it to some post-apocalyptic world, it's maybe just about let's rebuild and try to 
keep the numbers under control, everybody. Come on. Yeah. Let's be reasonable. There's only so many. Re- and we know this. We know overpopulation is a thing. We know that there's, you know, water wars between different, uh, you know, parts of the country because, you know, one is stealing from the other. And they, there's like a whole, there's a whole, there was a story somewhere. Um, I believe it was in Mexico about like literally armed militias protecting water supplies and stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're heading towards Mad Max territory. And I don't yeah. want to sound alarmist, but I mean, you know, climate change and all that, in my opinion, uh, and in the opinion of science, which isn't really an opinion, I don't think, is real. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think this kind of thinking is interesting and potentially valuable. Like, it, I, I hope we don't get fully annihilated in some kind of extinction event. But that's what I think the, the, the RC Christian and his small group of loyal Americans were thinking. I think they were thinking like through the lens of that Cold War paranoia. And the fact that it's in all of these different languages, it was like all of the most commonly spoken languages like in the world. It was, you know, Mandarin, Chinese, Japanese, I believe, Swahili. Um, oh, gosh. I think Hebrew. Hebrew, uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, there, which, which is kind of... I don't not really a dead language, but it's not something that's like actively spoken, but I think it was, you know, symbolically important. Um, But English and maybe German, I I can't remember. It's been a long time since I've really deep dived into it, but the, on each of the stone slabs, uh, it's the same kind of commandments, I guess you could call for like a new world order. And then you get the conspiracy people where you say, what new world order. Yeah. That means Illuminati. That means like, you know, some the small group of loyal Americans is in some way going to bring about the demise of civilization. And, um, I don't think that's what it was at all. Yeah. I spent a lot of time with Wyatt Martin, who was the banker you talked about. Who um, so he went to went to the Granite Finishing Company, and the guy's name was Joe Finley. Okay. And he goes, "Well, this is a lot you're asking for, and if if I'm going to take you seriously, I want to know that you can pay for it." So he takes him over to the bank uh, to his friend Wyatt Martin, who then like you know does his due diligence, and said so that's why only those two men knew the guy's real identity, and the only reason he knew it was so he could prove that he could pay for it. Um, and then he made him vow to never tell anybody who he was and uh you know he's an old southern gentleman man of his word and uh that's exactly what he did and and in in my i think it's in the in the um recut but he has this box of all the stuff he kept all these documents with the guy's true identity like paperwork and bank stuff and he burns it in a bucket like in a big uh, what do you call it like a like a barrel um you know for me for the camera and sure I could have peeked in and figured out who it was probably you know yeah uh, but I, I don't want to do that I don't want to be dishonest and hey and you're a good southern gentleman as well the guys, of your word. Yeah. you know the, this this promise the guy made and honestly for me I, like you were even saying with Voynich and I think with mysteries in general I think sometimes the mystery is more fun than the actual uh, answer um, but man when I was doing this, like I, I, I found a, a preacher from a local church who swore up and down that there were Satanists going yeah. and doing blood rituals at this thing because it does look, you know, <laughs> yeah, vaguely stonehenge, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, but you know, he was saying all this very specific stuff, like sacrificing goats and all this stuff, and it's like nobody saw that, and, and, and nobody <laughs> else. This guy's one of these people that, like, when you get into certain classes of evangelicism or whatever, I think you think the devil is like everywhere you know 
Dude, you're telling me that there are classes of evangelicals who are willing to perpetuate <laughs> unfounded conspiracies on the internet. I can How neither dare- confirm nor deny <laughs> that that well, is the case, but well, yeah, that, this was my experience here. I do have to ask, do you have any theories about the true identity of R.C. Christian? I'm assuming you 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 don't assume he's part of some sort of nefarious mm, secret organization. Do you I think, think he was, was benevolent, just, if any? Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of like stuff in in it. Like I have I have a lot of stuff from that um, you know, part part time my life um like you know in pictures he gave me so much stuff wyatt martin just i i, I need to check in on it i bet you he's passed away he was yeah. in his had to have been in his like pushing 90 he was he was very old man when i when yeah. i met him but he came to the premiere of the film at my college like he was such oh, a, nice. he was so game and was so helpful and, and, and kind to me um and just gave me all of these amazing artifacts that i have you know filed away like you yeah. know actual photo prints of the construction a lot of the images you see online and scan like on the wire article i have the originals of a lot of oh, these. Wow. he just gave them to me um and then there were these pamphlets they had printed out that like kind of explained what everything was and sort of like and and, and, and you know there, there's some uh rc christian had written this pamphlet um not the one i'm talking about that was more like a like a what do you call it a brochure for like yeah. the georgia guidestones more like a, a thing i think they pass it out still to this day or at least some reprint of it at the granite association but there's a book he did called something about the new age of reason um mm. And it's all this enlightenment kind of thinking. And, you know, a lot of those enlightenment groups like the Rosicrucians or the, uh, the the Freemasons and all that, it was, you know, it was just about using reason over like ignorance or like yeah. the, the, the ideas that flourished in like the dark ages of superstition. And um, it even almost like eschewed like religion. It was much more about using your like mental faculties to like make smart logical decisions. Yeah. So no, I don't think there was any, you know, nefarious cultiness to any of it. I think it was literally just like, okay, here's this legacy. It's going to be made with granite, which is a very durable <laughs> yeah. material yeah. on a high place where it yeah. won't flood, you know, when the earth comes to an end. Uh, and then maybe the remaining survivors can find it and like, hopefully they'll speak the language, one of the languages, and then they can like rebuild civilization with this as their like totem, you know, or whatever. I don't know. It's interesting though. Yeah. Well, definitely people can check out the the film and the episode of stuff. uh, They don't want you to know. No. What is your number three list on uh, number three on your list? Oh, my number three is, um, is Roanoke, the colony of Roanoke, um, which is now in like, you know, I got to go. People keep telling me you got to go to the Outer Banks in in North Carolina. It's apparently beautiful, but um, very familiar. I live in uh, Virginia Beach, which is only as the crow. It's actually the geography is kind of interesting as the crow flies only about, uh, you know, 45 minutes from here uh, to get to the Outer Banks. But uh, to get down, you have to like drive around. There's not there used to be a ferry that connected it, but now you got to drive all the way around and go around this bridge. So it's about an hour and a half, two hours to get down the Outer Banks, but it is beautiful. But that is one of America's enduring mysteries. It is. Cause I mean, I think it's largely because, well, it's, it's for a couple of reasons, but you know, it was this colony where I think, you know, we were, we, we, uh, the, the British were trying to compete with the Spanish to, um, you know, like kind of colonize the new world. And this was in 1587. Um, and it was this colony that was, you know, they, they had dealt with some real hardship. And I think it was like the, the leader of the colony at the time had to take a, go back to, to get some more supplies. And he left some of his family behind and then he returned um and it was 114 people 
and um, or maybe minus the 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 gentleman that, that took off and the few that he brought along with him. But when he returned, they were just gone. Yeah. And you know the big enduring part of the mystery because who doesn't like a good creepy word scrawled into a tree? Um, it's the stuff <laughs> of like horror movies. Is, yeah. is, was the word croat uh, uh, croatin or yeah. croatoan, and um, that was the name of an Indian. Uh, or a Native American tribe uh, that lived nearby. And so it was, uh, you know, and also the name of the, um, the, piece of land it was like an island yeah. as yeah. well um which is still around to this day like all of these they're called different things but um yeah it was this notion that they were taken by them or murdered by them or, or something um and it was just this real enduring mystery uh and i i think that that's another one where there have been a few attempts at like oh we figured yeah. it out and i think the latest one it's not super sexy but it's just the idea that they found them having moved inland a little yeah. bit more and there, there was like an archaeological dig that suggests that they, uh, they, they relocated, and there are some like you know, I think it's Elizabethan um, artifacts uh, that were you know of the time, style yeah. of the time, that were uncovered in like another little area further inland. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, it's funny because in the local paper here, uh, probably every two years they'll post the piece about someone cracked the mystery finally, and then it's it's a different theory than what it was a couple of years ago. Um, but uh, you know, there's also kind of weird elements. It looks like whenever they left, it happened pretty suddenly. Yes. It doesn't look like it was some sort of like, hey, let's pack up and leave. It's like, hey, let's just leave everything here. So there is some a lot of strange elements to it. If people get get a chance to visit, they 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 have a it's sort of like a community theater production that they do down there called the lost colony and they do sort of a reenactment of the lead up to the disappearance but you know kind of leave the audience on a cliffhanger no fantastic mystery and people should definitely get down to that part of the country because it's an interesting place and you could see why it would be very unsettling to return to one of the little um kind of barrier islands there where you have a village of you know a thriving village of 120 people and to return on a boat and be like well where'd everybody go you know there's there's no clues it is a very interesting set of circumstances. I think it's also just rife for like imagination, you know, yeah. like I don't know if you've seen this. It's a, it's a really great HBO miniseries that just wrapped. It's called the third day with Jude law. No, I it's, seen it yet. it's really good. It's like about like this Island off of uh, near, not, not terribly, terribly far from London, but kind of out in the country. And it's this Island called, um, Oh gosh, it's C, C something. C, I, I, uh, anyway, it's got the word C in the beginning. Yeah. And there's like a suffix and I can't remember what it is, but, um, it's almost like a combination of like the wicker man and, you know, some other kind of tropey kind of cult type things. And like a lot of like folk culture kind of like, it's like this Island that like exists sort of in its own little bubble outside of the rest of the country that has their own like traditions that are all sort of Nordic. And, uh, I don't know why I think about that, but when I think of the idea of like a disappearing yeah. colony in my mind, I, I, my mind immediately goes to like, it was definitely some creepy cult stuff. Going oh, on, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. That's the most fun uh, presumption. So, so no, my my number three, but this one is a, is a little bit less uh, uh, sinister. It's more, it's the most contemporary on my list, um, and it's kind of got a pop culture uh, um, nature to it. But um, no, are you familiar with the film The Room? 
Oh, God, yes. Are you kidding? You're tearing me apart, Lisa. That's right. Uh, Arguably the worst, the best worst movie ever made. A very strange film uh, from a filmmaker named Tommy Wiseau. And his true identity is number three on my list. Because when you watch this film, it stars, the the plot is not worth describing because it's pretty much incomprehensible. I completely Uh, disagree. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) It's essentially like... Like it's a melodrama that's done terribly. Yeah, the it's dialogue, an accidental comedy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. The the plot makes pretty much no sense. The production makes even less sense because they shot it both on film and digital for reasons that have never been made clear. There's also a lot of very strange decisions. There's a great uh, uh, film on on uh, you know that uh, Seth Rogen and James Franco made called The Disaster Artist, sure. which I think it's on Netflix now. That is sort of a uh, the one of the the actors in the film yep. who was just a normal kind of working actor named. Uh, uh, Greg Sestro. And his character's name was in a burst of creativity, as Ben Bolin would say, also named Greg. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, you know, he kind of wrote about his experiences, but the one enduring thing about it is how the the writer, director, uh, producer, and star of the film, uh, where he came from, yep. how he funded the movie, and 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 really how he got this far in life, because his past is a complete mystery. Totally. He speaks in this sort of like, I'll play a clip. Yeah. Hi. Can I help you? Yeah, can I have a dozen red roses, please? Oh, hi, Johnny. I didn't know it was you. Here you go. That's me. How much is it? It'll be $18. Here go. Keep the change. Hi, doggy. You're my favorite customer. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye-bye. I was working as a busboy in a hotel, and uh, uh, she was sitting, drinking her coffee, and she was so beautiful. And I say hi to her. <laughs> That's how we met. But, um, you know, he, he speaks in this sort of, it's it's kind of an accent, but it's almost this, like, vaguely Eastern Bloc broken English. Right. Um, he seems to have a, a tenuous grasp on basic communication. He's very adversarial in a lot of interviews, not because the interviewers are being adversarial, but it seems like there's this weird, constant miscommunication. Um, he has uh, given an age, which Greg Session in the book, the disaster artist says that he saw some immigration papers, and he's not telling—he's not being truthful about his age. Uh, he he says that he made his fortune in New Orleans, between New Orleans and San Francisco, which is kind of claims was where he's from. Uh, even though he has this accent that no one knows where this originated. No, he says it, he's an American, doesn't he? Say he's American. Yeah, yeah. He he says he spent some time in France, but he was. Uh, he, sometimes he says San Francisco, sometimes New Orleans, as his like you know where he's from um but he says that his fortune originated nothing is known about his family either but he said he made his fortune selling little wooden birds on a pier in san francisco and also (laughs) everything about it is great too irregular jeans in new orleans like he was able to fund this film and evidently become pretty wealthy selling irregular jeans and little little toys on a pier he's a fascinating guy but i have always i was a little disappointed in the film because I didn't really get into the mystery of his origins, which I honestly think is the most fascinating thing about The Room. 
yeah, man, he's always been, he's on my list too. Um, just in general, my life yeah. list. Like, he's just like, what is this guy's deal? Um, it's one of those, I think it was like, it was a big LA thing because like he bought a billboard even yep. where it was up in LA for like years or like a <laughs> really long time. And like people would see it and then they would just like kind of discover it and they would do like midnight movie screenings of the room like yeah. they would like Rocky Horror where like people would, there's different little things people do. Like they'll throw like silverware at the screen or like yeah. plastic spoons. forks, spoons. Yeah. 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 And like, there's the whole trope in the movie where it's like always people throwing footballs, but really short distances <laughs> yeah. or, or the camera will cut away. And it'll, it's just like the, the, the editing choices, like everything about it. And then there's this like rooftop situation that like they had no reason to use a green screen. Yeah. They could have just they, they it's a gone to a roof. <laughs> yeah. Just, exactly. Use a green screen. <laughs> One of the scenes where the, where the main characters are tossing the football, they're wearing tuxedos. And the reason for the tuxedos is never explained. There's not even effort to be like, hey, we're going to a photo shoot or we're groomsmen. They're just wearing tuxedos. The the movie's baffling, but uh, the the origins of its creator are are a true American mystery. Uh, and he also has a, <laughs> his fashion. He basically looks like if the movie The Crow, yep. if if that movie was a human that then worked at a hot topic, that is what he dresses like all the time. Like he wears no less than five belts at all times. Just a, a great figure to, to to ponder. So that is my number three. I got uh, I got to tell you, he's got some some new stuff in the works, my friend. He's I got heard a, he's got a movie called Best Friends Volumes One and Two, <laughs> but the R is like in parentheses inexplicably. Yeah. So I guess that means it's Best Fiends and or Friends because the yeah. R is optional. Yeah, subtle. Um, he uh, there there were a couple of funny. Um, videos he did for the Nerdist where he plays the Joker, like doing yeah. an audition tape for the Joker, which is really funny. But and he's got something he did for TV. It's like a video short, it says, or no, I don't know what, what it's for, but it's called Space World. Um, yeah. This one I'm really fascinated by the name alone. It's called Making Angels Screen Test. And that's a short. And that's marked as completed. And then his latest project is something called Big Shark. That's and I right. have seen the trailer for this. So have it, I. And it, it is, is just about a big shark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a poorly CGI'd big shark. I think he's off frame, but the 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 effects don't look good. But the, here's the thing about him: you never know to what degree he's in on the joke. Like, is this like a Charlie Kaufman level? performance art that that's some weird commentary about you know media consumption or it's just a really weird guy with a really well, weird past you I, know I, I i would argue this like i think he genuinely thought the room was like a hard-hitting drama yeah and then he saw the early kind of reviews and responses and realized people thought it was funny, even if it was like they were making fun of him. Right. Yeah. And then he pivoted the whole marketing thing to calling it a dark comedy. So I, I think he's aware of like how his work is perceived, but I also think he just like has this blind ambition and just goes for it. Like, you know, big shark also Greg Sestero's in it. So they obviously yeah. are still pals. It, it says in the poster, it's like, Big Shark, and then like a little copyright symbol for Big Shark. <laughs> it's not clear whether it's Shark that's copyrighted or Big Shark. The Big Shark, yeah. And then as big as the title is directed by Tommy Wiseau. It's as yeah. big as the title. And then in parentheses, from creator of the room. Yeah. He Can certainly New Orleans leaned survive? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other thing, too, I love the, the, the infamous billboard that he bought like a two year lease for in LA to promote that's the it, room. Yeah. It's, it's basically, I, if I'm recording, 
calling it right. It's it's like this dramatic black and white picture of him, one that doesn't appear in the film. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the log line for the film is the passion of Tennessee Williams, which is quite the flex yeah, there for, for our man Tommy. Uh, no, what is your number two? What's number two on your list of, of, of unsolved mysteries? Oh man, mine are all dark, man. I don't know why. I, I, I guess I've been no. Let's uh, do it, man. Uh, my number two is Jack the Ripper. <laughs> <laughs> hey, dude, one of history's all-time great missions. And this is one, and, and I'll let you bring listeners up to speed who probably know the name. Everyone knows the name. Of course. But when you actually, when you actually like dig into the story, you're like, holy cow, man, this is the craziest story ever. And they'll tell people why you picked uh, put Jack the Ripper on well, your list. I'll tell you, any any comic nerds out there, um, or, and I say that as a term of love, not a term of abuse. I am I am that thing. Um, I highly recommend you check out the Alan Moore um, amazing amazingly in-depth chronicling of this whole story uh, called um, From Hell. It, it is a movie version of it with Johnny Depp, which is fine, but the, yeah. the comic is just like, you know, it, it's like a historical document like that's in, happens to be with drawings and speech bubbles. But yeah, it's it's um, in, in the East End of London in 1888, there was just a a spree of, of gruesome murders. Um, and, and this killer was coined, uh, Jack the Ripper, I guess, by the, by the local papers. And I love the idea of a ripper. That's just, you know, it's, yeah. it's like, it's better than a slasher. If you ask yeah. me, it's, it's it, like, a it, he's history's level. greatest ripper. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. I, I mean, think second only to uncle Jesse on, on, fa- on full oh house God, who man. had Jesse in the rippers. Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, yeah. yeah no. I think he still holds the title for number one, but I, I completely agree. And, and the, I think the thing that set this apart, though was um the kind of surgical precision that went into these kills like yeah. i believe most of them or at least a few uh was, it was all women um i believe most of them were sex workers and uh their uteruses were surgically removed yeah a true weird weirdo psychopath now there's been lots of speculation throughout history on the identity of jack the ripper some people speculate that could be a prominent member of you know of you know london society back in the day the royal family i believe it was a like a there was speculation that it was a prince of some kind or maybe like a a duke perhaps I'm, i'm sorry i'm not getting the name right there but you're absolutely spot on if you had to speculate on, I mean, motives are impossible to speculate. He seems, you know, Jack the Ripper pretty much universally seems like some sort of sociopath, uh, you know. Um, but w- when you think about, you know, the different theories about the identity of Jack the Ripper, which ones do you gravitate towards that you think would be the most rational? Oh, yeah, really quickly. It was Queen Victoria's grandson. It was speculated it was Prince Albert Victor, mm. uh, who was also known as the Duke of Clarence. Um, <laughs> I, I think all of the speculation that it had to have been someone with like medical background, yeah. that it was either a doctor or a doctor's assistant or someone that spent time, you know, uh, in an operating theater, as they call it in, in, the, in the UK. Um, there were even speculations that it was Lewis Carroll. The, mm. the author of, uh, of of Alice in Wonderland, which, I don't know, that makes my imagination go nuts and, and, and <laughs> yeah. ascribes kind of new meaning to, you know, Alice in Wonderland. Which, by the way, is a dark, pretty dark book when you really think about it. Totally. Like, you know, like, we, we kind of have a romanticized American Disney version of that story in our head. Yeah. But it's like, dude, th- th- there's, you know, people being drugged and, you know, the psychedelics play a big role. It's a, it's a weird Decapitations, yeah. you know? Yeah. All of 
of which, you know, is, I mean, honestly, it's probably the weirdest, darkest Disney movie in a lot yeah. of ways. Cause it does, it doesn't lean too heavily away from the whole psychedelic thing. I think she eats like magic mushrooms in it yeah. and they don't call it <laughs> yeah. that, but you yeah. know, then there's like the caterpillar smoking opium or, you know, they don't yeah. call it that either, but there's clearly some weird stuff going on. Um, there's an interesting theory that it might've been a woman, which, which hmm. I'm uh, fascinated by. Um, it, it's sort of the, the latest, maybe, maybe it's not like of like super recent times, but it's definitely one of the more uh, contemporary um, speculations that, of, of who Jack the Ripper was. And that it was the wife of this doctor who I think she was jealous of his mistress and that was potentially the first murder. There was uh, some evidence that there were like women's garments found burned in, mm-hmm. in, in one of the crime scenes that didn't belong to the victim and things like that. But then, then there are other like ripperologists. That's a thing, by the way, ripperologists. Yeah. Um, I did not is make it, that up. Mm-hmm. Is it really? That's like, what they call it, ripperologists. Yeah, it, it, that seems, and I, there probably is. I should probably look it up. But like th- that seems like one of history's cases that's poised to have like a true crime serial style podcast of people trying to solve a you know what is it three hundred two hundred year old mystery right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, so it's tough. A lot of that stuff is lost to time and, and it just depends on uh, finding diaries or like, you know, it's not like you're going to find any like viable DNA or anything like that. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah. There was uh, th- 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 that being said, though. There was an Australian scientist um, who used swabs uh, to swab some of this because Jack the Ripper was another one of those killers that like sort of toyed with the police and would like send them like sort of taunting letters. And so, yeah, in terms of potentially viable DNA, you know, you lick a stamp, you know, it might have been a long hundred years ago or whatever. But uh, this this Australian scientist gave it a go um, and he uh, was attempting to construct like a partial DNA profile. Um, And of course, the results were pretty inconclusive. They did indicate that the uh, samples were most likely to have come from a woman. Hmm. But again, you know, I mean not like jack the ripper's got to lick his own stamps that's yeah, not that's, yeah. that, that's what you would call circumstantial <laughs> yeah, right yeah exactly i mean it's sort of an early history version of like the zodiac killer who, right. who who clearly took pleasure in the media attention of being jack the ripper as much as they did of you know actual actually committing the crimes it is a fascinating uh story in history um no i'm i'm interested to hear your take on on my number two pick um i'm I'm pretty sure you guys have done an episode on this and it is uh the oak island money pit mystery gosh i i know what it is and we've definitely done it but i think i said to this this to you off mic we do so many of these yeah yeah every week that i sometimes just completely blank on them and i have to be reminded so i'm gonna do a little googling while you uh yeah tell well, your well, story well, and then i'll yeah, meet well, you halfway yeah well hopefully this this brings you and any listeners up to speed now it does it is the subject of a popular history channel show called the curse of oak island but an abbreviated history is dating back to the 1800s uh, this is this small island off the coast of Nova Scotia uh, has been, you know, it's it's been it's changed hands. There's been farms built on it. Um, but at some point in the 1800s, a a a, a symbol on a, on, you know, a, the, the 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 I'll back up the origins of the actual money pit itself. Um, there have been different kind of stories passed on through the years from these kids finding like a, a like a a ring hanging from a tree and they went and 
and saw kind of an indentation on the ground and dug a hole or someone saw a symbol on a tree and and saw what indicated that there had been someone that had dug there at some point. Anyway, throughout the 1800s, people started kind of digging where this indentation was, and what they found were uh, these uh, different kind of planks every 10 feet. It looked like it was constructed intentionally as uh, as sort of a... Um, excavated hole that could maintain its structure. It looks like it would someone put a tremendous amount of work to dig this giant hole. Now, as it kind of grew in popularity throughout the 1800s, more people started digging and they found like pick marks on the side of the hole. Uh, they found coconut fibers, which seemed to indicate that maybe, uh, you know, whatever was in the hole came from the contents of a ship because they used to use coconut fibers as sort of uh, shipping materials. Um, but as they started digging out this hole it ended up flooding and as they dug like sort of adjacent holes they found that those holes flooding and there seemed to be under the island a a whole series of flood tunnels now uh, at some point they actually dumped red paint down one of the holes and found it coming out different parts of the island seeming to indicate that there was a series of tunnels that were meant to ensure that what was ever buried down there would never be brought to the surface. It seemed like somebody or a group of people went to a tremendous amount of effort to hide whatever's uh, uh, hidden in there, including sort of booby trapping it with these uh, sort of underwater holes. Now, uh, there are people still on the island today, the owners of the island, these two brothers who are actually the stars of the show the curse of oak island are still trying to kind of excavate the island to find out what's down there and the the theories are pretty wild it's everything from like pirate treasure like blackbeard's treasure uh captain kidd's treasure some people speculate uh that it could be marie antoinette's jewels are down there there's also speculation that the original shakespeare manuscripts or even like the ark of the cup like you know the knights templar hid the ark of the covenant down there it's very very odd there's also like a weird like like stone that was unearthed that has uh some kind of like indecipherable symbols on it yeah the, the, there yeah. was some kind of like maybe connection uh they call it a uh, uh the symbol stone and yeah. that it was um reported in 1862 um, by a local newspaper and it was described as a stone cut square two feet long about a foot thick with several characters on it, it looks like it says h and o P and G or something like that. Like P P Z it looks like, but super interesting. Yeah, no, I, I remember they did this as a video back way back in the day. And there's a story about, you know, like that, that, that just popped recently that they found it. They found the thing. Yeah. To, something to, 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 to my understanding, the group that's out there now, um, which, which is featured on the, on the, on the television show has made different, I think they found coins. I think they found kind of excavating, uh, you know, kind of pick hammer, you know, pickaxes and hammers and things down there. But in terms of like an actual treasure, I think there's a lot of hints and I think they've continually kind of found things that hint to some sort of treasure or something of tremendous value down there. Um, um, they, I, I, to my knowledge, I don't think they've un, they've uncovered exactly what it is that somebody went to what appears to be a, a tremendous amount of effort to try to hide. It would seem so like all, I mean, cause I mean, God, back in those days to, to like dig those kind of tunnels and not have them just like cave in on you and like bury you alive, yeah. that would a be super risky and b you know, take some, some real doing. 
Yeah, and there there are, you know, some geologists have speculated, oh, they could be kind of natural tunnels under, but there are also a lot of people that think, hey, man, this could be something really weird. So the Oak Island Money Pit is, is number two, and, I'm, and I follow the series, but the only thing about those History Channel series, it's like, it, it'll stretch one day of them digging a hole on that island for like the full hour-long episode, you know? Like, that's, that's the, like, I would much rather do the Wikipedia version and just kind of get the quick catch-up, but people can check it out. So it's not a bad show uh, on, on the History Channel. All right, no, we are at the time for for uh, our number one picks, and I'm very eager because we we've ex- you've helped us unpack some of history's you know really intriguing mysteries. What do you have as number one on your list? Yeah, I don't know if these are necessarily ranked. I mean, they, I guess they kind of are. I did try yeah. to put some thought into that, just in terms of like cultural impact and things like that. The Voynich Manuscript is maybe my favorite, but it's a little bit more of a curiosity, whereas this one absolutely has had an impact on so many things and is used as a, uh, a stand-in or like a, almost an expression when it comes to things like unfairly going after someone when maybe they haven't done anything wrong. Um, the Salem Witch Trials. Yes. Um, it, it really, I think more than ever, is a culturally important thing because it's this idea, again, we were talking about it earlier with the Georgia Guidestones about this idea that certain types of Christians or religious folks, I guess, of any stripe, but Christians in particular, um, are always looking for evil. And they, 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 you, there's a way, if you look hard enough for evil, you can find it in the most innocuous things, right? Yeah. And, and, and I'm interested to hear, you know, you kind of unpack it because I feel like there's been a lot of misconceptions in, you know, contemporary culture about the Salem witch trials for people that, you know, might have kind of a loose, you know, a loose knowledge of what it involved. Tell people why the Salem witch trials were such a strange chapter in kind of not just like New England history, but really American history. Well, I think it was it was largely because it just caught fire so quickly. Yeah. And, you know, even in contemporary times, there have been various instances that really mirror like what happened with the Salem witch trials, like certain like satanic panics, yeah. like the the child murders at Robin Hood Hill, which is like a really good documentary um, called Paradise Lost. And that was, you know, these these kids, I can't remember, what, it was in Texas, I believe, um, that were accused of murdering these children in a ritualistically satanic fashion because they listened to like metal, heavy metal and they like yeah. have black hair and all that. So that's a thing that you've seen like throughout history. There's these little pockets of kind of these panics surrounding what it, whatever it might be, um, yeah. you know, but usually around some supernatural force that's that's influencing the youth or, or what have you. And that's absolutely what the Salem Witch Trials was. It was, you know, I think it was these two young girls who started having these fits um, and kind of, you know, independently of one another, but they knew each other. And uh, then, you know, it was it was determined to have been witchcraft. And then there was this like um, a servant woman named Tituba uh, who was determined to have been the source of the witchcraft. And there's different, like, I was actually, I listened to a really good BBC podcast about it where historically she's always thought to have been um, of some island descent, I believe, like from Barbados. Um, but then there are other indications that that wasn't true at all, mm. that like she was a different nationality or a different, like, um, origin or, or uh, you know, heritage. Um, but basically, all, all, all that you need to know really about the story is that. It divided the community, um, the kind of puritanical sort of 
I guess governors or the, the 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 leaders, which often in those days there was no there was no disconnect between being a religious leader and being a governing leader. It was all kind of you know entwined. Um, started putting people on trial, and um, several people were executed, and many more were were accused. Um, and it ultimately you know went away, but it left an enduring kind of divide uh, and sort of a stain on that community and something that really was hard for people to, to start trusting again. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it was just absolutely, you know, we talk about a witch hunt. That's the idea is you're, you're looking for yeah. something that in there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a perfect example of, you know, whether it be kind of a fundamentalist religious leader or just someone that has unchecked power being able to ascribe some manner of evil to things that are otherwise have a pretty rational explanation you know whether that be kind of a mental health issue or some you know like kind of a social phenomenon like mass hysteria which Mm -hmm. we're beginning to better understand now um but ascribing not only ascribing evil to something that has a logical explanation, but using it to victimize a, a, a part of the community that's already on the margins. You know, in this case, you know, at that point in history, you know, men culturally and, and socially had a lot of, you know, kind of power that they would abuse over over women. And but also kind of, uh, you know, they would use it to bol- bolster their own power in the community, because as we've seen play out. Fear is a really powerful weapon if you want to maintain power. Yeah, we've certainly seen a little bit of that. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, no, no doubt. And yeah, it's just an into, you know, obviously the Crucible is a very famous Arthur Miller play based on this. And that's there's a fantastic film version of that with Winona Ryder. And uh, isn't Daniel Day-Lewis in that? I, I believe he, so. I, I think yeah, that's him. Yeah, he's he's no slouch as an actor. Um, yeah, definitely recommend that just to get kind of a cool dramatized version of the story. But all they hit all the historical beats, I think, pretty well. But to me, um, another great example example of this same kind of hysteria but they take it in like a legit supernatural direction is the uh the um the movie the witch that came yeah. out a couple of years ago very um, cool movie by, yeah. yeah david david eggers is that his name what's his last name eggers robert eggers yeah or yeah um he is probably one of my him and uh ari aster who did hereditary and midsummer and um those guys are kind of two of my favorite new filmmakers kind of yeah. hit the scene. Well, no, I have one more on my list mm-hmm. and I, and this is one that I'm interested in your theories on because uh, it kind of has like it pulls on a lot of weird kind of mystery and conspiracy threads. Uh, and that is Coral Castle, which for people that ha- are not familiar, it is a series of structures in Florida uh, that were constructed uh, in the early, I believe it was the early 1900s, uh, you know, at a time when uh, access to heavy equipment was pretty limited. Uh, And we know for a fact that the individual who built this, who immigrated to the United States from Latvia, didn't really have access to uh, equipment to quarry gigantic and excavate gigantic pieces of limestone, which he ended up using to create these monuments and almost like... It's all, it sits on, you know, the, the equivalent of like probably two kind of lots 
you know, like residential lots, but it's almost like this little village that he has there. There's towers that he would sleep in. There's a large gate made of limestone. But the weird thing is, not only did he quarry all this stone with methods that we're not sure how he was able to get these gigantic, because these are, these weigh tons and tons, you know, tons and tons of pounds, but also he was able to construct these massive structures without the use of mortar. Uh, they were, the, the precision in the way they were cut was so fine that they would lock into each other. And they they say that even today, light won't pass through the cracks in some of this stone. Um, the odd thing is he seemed to have done it pretty much by himself, and he was a pretty sickly guy. Uh, he, he had battled tuberculosis, and it took a major toll, uh, uh, toll on his health, uh, but he was somehow able to construct all of this with no equipment. Uh, I mean, it had furniture. It has a telescope, a sundial, uh, with no heavy equipment, no excavation equipment, and he would work primarily at night or at least out of visibility from, from any of his you know, kind of neighbors so that he couldn't see what was happening. And when asked about it, he said he had discovered the secrets of the pyramids. Uh, he had also claimed in some of his writings that uh, and he's a weird dude too. Some of his writings, he had really weird beliefs about uh, you know kind of purity and gender roles and things like that. But he also uh, says he cured his tuberculosis using the magnets. But no one is sure how he was able to get these stones out of the ground, how he was able to cut them, and how he was able to move them. Because he actually moved the entire Coral ma- Castle 10 miles at one point. Noel, what's your familiarity with kind of the Coral Castle mis- mystery? Yeah, we definitely did this one a while ago, and I, and I, I remember it um, pretty well. Um, I remember he he was really into magnets, which yeah. if you listen to Insane Clown Posse, you know that they're really cool. How the um, F do they and, work? And no one knows. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I guess this guy's name was... Uh, Edward uh, Leedskanen, yeah. uh, or Leedskalnen, is that an L? Yeah, Leedskalnen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah and he um, f- believed that he that magnets were, you know, magical. Like that they, he he uh, but he believes that he c- cured himself of his tuberculosis using magnets, and it's been de- he's been he's described you know the the trick to his his. Um, construction of this these structures as reverse magnetism um and he apparently like was people from the area claimed to have witnessed him moving these things like they were like uh, being lifted by balloons like hydrogen balloons or something like that um and he talked about having a perpetual motion holder Um, (laughs) nothing weird there we don't know what that is yeah 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 it's fascinating, man. I don't know. Like, didn't he? Um, didn't he build it? Like, in wasn't there like a like a message behind it, or he built it like as a yeah like a tribute to somebody or something? So, this is a creepier element of the story. So, Billy Idol's song "Sweet Sixteen is uh-huh. about is actually kind of loosely based on that story. Um, he was engaged in Latvia to a woman who I believe was sixteen at the time. That's why it's you know sort of. Uh, you know, a concerning backstory. Uh, But she ended up, before the wedding, ended up leaving him, uh, thankfully, you know, because I think he was in his 20s at the time, you know, uh, didn't seem like a most appropriate relationship. But he was so heartbroken by it uh, that when he moved to the United States, he kind of, I think he lived in the Pacific Northwest for a while and kind of kicked around. Uh, But when he settled in Florida, he thought that if he built this huge kind of 
limestone gigantic castle that his love from Latvia would come and find him and live there with him. Of course, she never came. Um, but he lived there pretty much the, the his entire adult life and made his income by charging people uh, to come visit. He wouldn't charge very much, but uh, charge people to come visit and also kind of sell some, some literature with his uh, interesting beliefs. Well, I'll just leave it at that. That's not really... Uh, the, I don't want to give too much exposure to his interesting uh, sort of value surrounding gender issues and 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 purity again this is someone who yeah uh, and i remember that kind of icky side of it but it's definitely a cool place it's like you know one of the most elaborate kind of roadside attractions i could imagine and you can i think you can still visit it right yeah yeah yeah. it's still open today and it's probably not going anywhere because it's it's constructed so well that it's it's already survived a bunch of hurricanes and uh you know without very much damage a very interesting place but again kind of the most interesting thing is how the heck did he do it what was this perpetual motion machine that he he referenced and what exactly is discovering the secrets of the pyramids like he could have instead of just sitting there and writing weird stuff about uh you know uh, health issues and sexuality and sort of he could have just wrote spent his time writing what the secrets of the pyramids were you know that One seemed would like think a, that would have been a pretty good draw you know <laughs> yeah, i would say I, I think he would sell more pamphlets that way uh than his crazy ideas but certainly a fascinating mystery yeah people can go visit it right now it's a it's an interesting place Noel, do you have any speculation on what do you think he could have possibly used uh, to construct it definitely just did it with his mind man yeah exactly that's what i was hoping you'd say does he have like an estate or something like would do people pay to go still and there's like the money goes towards something or i think it was acquired by uh, you know some sort of foundation or the city or something but it's it's i know that if you go visit you have to pay to go but i think it's relatively especially now uh especially nowadays i think it's relatively cheap to go there but i don't think he has any living family or anything like that uh you know at least that people know of yeah very so. interesting. Well, man, that was a good uh, good mix of stuff on on, on our respective lists. I, I Look at this, that. man. This is a, a deep. It's talking about uh, deep dive in in kind of weird history. These are all so any. I'll say this to any um, you know aspiring podcasters out there that are looking for interesting subject matter for any kind of. Show, I would listen to a podcast about e- literally any one of these eight topics that we discussed today. Yeah, pretty sure they're represented between ridiculous history and stuff that I want you to know. I'm pretty sure there's something on pretty much every one of these that we talked about today, if I'm not mistaken. But um, yeah, man, either way, uh, really always always a pleasure to to chat about weird, uh, weird historical mysteries. Absolutely, man. Well, well, no. Hey, listen, in addition to checking out Ridiculous History and stuff, they don't want you to know, where can people find you uh, on social to follow yeah, you? I, I, I maintain a, a modest Instagram account uh, exclusively. I, I don't really twi- Twitter. Twitter. So you can tell yeah. I don't do it. I'm not even using the right terms. Um, uh, but you can find that at, at how now Noel Brown on Instagram. And, um, you know, I do the stories and post memes and news stuff. It's, uh, you know, give it a follow. It's, it's fun. Um, and that's pretty much it i just lurk on twitter and um just do the show stuff for facebook but you can check out our facebook groups for both of the ridiculous history it's called ridiculous historians and uh stuff they don't want you to know it's called here's where it gets crazy and uh, there's lots of fun memes and conversations on those groups 
Well, Noel, dude, I really appreciate you joining us. And man, if people seriously need to check out, like I said, stuff, particularly stuff they don't want you to know. I mean, all the shows are great, but that one is one that is part of my weekly rotation, man. Right people on, man. definitely need to check it out. Before we go, I got to say this. Uh, that is Noel. I am Jesse. You are you. And this has been <laughs> listed. How many times do people make that joke to well, you? Well, that has been through and through. He, he coined that thing. And if it's part of the ritual now. We'll never be able to get away from it. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they, they say it a lot when they send us emails for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, people definitely go check out Noel on Instagram. Check out his podcast. They're incredible shows. They're very well made and super, super interesting. And thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. All right, everyone, that is it for this episode of List It on the Ironclad Content Network. Hey, if you like the show, I know every podcast has to do it, but it really does help. If you like the show, leave a rating and review. I really appreciate it. All right, guys, we'll see you next time.